EcoHealth, your internet radio. Daar is hy, goeiemiddag mense. Ons is hier so saam met Diedrik van Roadtrip. As jy nie weet wat is Roadtrip nie, in die eerste plek is die show so naam, in die tweede plek is die Diedrikse app. Roadtrip, gaan kyk vir hom op die Apple Store of op Google Store. Uh, not Google Store, ja, Google Store. Uh, ja nie, nou maak ek myself hier die mekaar hier so. Uh, al die store en alle rande goeders. Play store, ja, dis... Google Play. Google Play, ja. Google Play. Ja, hulle speel te veel met mense breins rond, as jy my vraag. <laughs> maar in elk geval, ons het so'n bykie van een verrassing vir julle, ons gaan een bykie een competitie hardloop. Um, jy het nou nou met een idee opgekom, wat ek denk eindelijk een goeie idee is. Uh, you, we're talking about the dogs. Ja, yeah, no, last, last week we featured our dogs. I love a fair dogs. Yes. Now we're running a competition, and for today, I think, let's do that, one of yours, I think that's a good idea. Um, how many dogs do they need to name? Four. Uh, yeah, give us, give us four dogs from last week, the names of four dogs that we featured last week. Yes, and then you can win a Healthful Paws 20 kilogram dog food from Peer at EcoHealth. So, go listen to the podcast, it should be up there, and today's we will um, upload during uh, tomorrow or Friday, depending on how busy we are and so forth. So yeah, we'll upload it, and go take a look at the Road Trip app, because um, Diederik, you want to tell them about that one? Yeah, the Road Trip app is, it's a, it's a pay for download, it's available on Apple and on Google Play. But it's a, an app that highlights interesting spots across South Africa and internationally monuments and things that have a South African flavor because obviously South Africans have got influence all over the world. Yes, yes. But there's about 4,000 odd spots on the, on the app. It's everything that's a monument, a museum, an interesting person, a grave. There's, like I said, there's a couple of things to the, to the animals. Last week we featured horses, we featured dogs. Um, and a donkey. And a donkey. We featured a donkey, we featured a camel. Um, we featured the police dogs. What else did we feature last week? I, don't, I, don't, I think we ran out of time. Hippo. We, we featured we, a hippo. Yes. There was a hippo last week on it as well. What was her name? Huberta. Huberta. Huberta the hippo. Huberta the hippo. Who's now, the, who's now standing in the museum in King Williamstown. Yes. And tell them about uh, the competition on your side, what you're going to do for them. Well, in the last couple of podcasts, there's been two mistakes there's been two mistakes, and uh, histor- one was a historical fact that was wrong, and one was a year that was wrong. So if you can find those, that also qualifies you for a 20-kilo dog food. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Diedrich is and, trying... And maybe, maybe I'll throw one in today as well. Keep you on your toes. Yes, we're going to try... Uh, Diedrich is busy with it. Uh, you will receive a code, but I think we'll leave that for next week still. Uh, we're still busy with that, which you can access his app for free for one month, which you can play with it, and if you like it, you buy it. Okay, Diedrich, I think let's kick it off. Yeah, we didn't quite finish last week with the, with the animals. Uh, there's just too much to talk about. And there were two that I left, left out last week. We covered, covered a lot of stuff last week, but we also have a, a love affair with cats, and... The cat statues, there's the 
lions in Pretoria, the lions outside Paul Kruger's house, and as well as on, on one of the bridges, the older bridges in Pretoria, beautiful lion statues that were donated to the Republic by Barney Bonato. Yeah. There's obviously the leopard on the rock outside Hout Bay, which is one of the features as you drive up oh, over yeah. Chapman's Peak. Beautiful bronze leopard looking out over Hout Bay. And it's just that was just a tribute to the leopards on the mountains because there are actually still leopards in those mountains around Cape Town. They're very, very secretive. But occasionally the leopards still pop out there. And uh, you can go onto several Facebook pages. There's a really nice one, not about leopards, but about caracals, the Cape Caracal Project. Caracals live up in the mountains around Hout Bay and uh, right up into Constantia. There's, there's camera traps and stuff of, the, of, these, of these urban caracals as well. But that leopard statue is a beautiful piece of work overlooking Hout Bay. But one of my favorite little statues, and it's quite a unique one, is what they call the Cafe Cat. A cafe? A cat. It's called the Cafe Cat. Oh. Now, that, that one is in Stellenbosch. And true to the cat's nature... It's been stolen a couple of times, but somehow it always comes back. <laughs> so, you know, cats have got this, 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 this incredible homing instinct. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> somehow the cat, little cat statue gets stolen and it keeps on coming back. <laughs> but it's a tribute to the feral cats in Stellenbosch. Somewhere around 19, I think 1965, there were a lot of feral cats in Stellenbosch because of the rats and keeping the rat, rat population under control. Yeah. And there were too many cats and the municipality decided to do something about the feral cats. There was a huge uproar from the locals that they didn't want the, all the cats destroyed. Yeah. And the municipality backed out. But a little, this little statue was put up in tribute to all the cats that helped keep Stellenbosch free of rats and, uh, and, and the diseases that rats carry. And it's a, you, you've got to look for it. It's a, it's a hard one to find, but it's just outside the public library. And you, the little cat is sitting on a wall. Just, just off one of the little side roads there. But it's a very, very cute little, little, little statue. And the cat's sitting there looking out um, over, over, over one of the parks in Stellenbosch. <laughs> awesome. That's a cute, that's a, just a, that's a cute, cute little statue. Yeah. <laughs> but a, probably a, a, a unique one, we also have a baboon statue in South Africa. Oh, yes. And the baboon <clears throat> statue is in the parking lot at Cape Point. Okay. And it's in tribute to the baboons of the Cape Peninsula because yes. they are a unique, not, they're not a species that, that's going on way too far, but a sort of a unique little section of the baboon population. It is a Chakma baboon. It's a normal Chakma baboon, the same as you see yeah. in Kruger and uh, the rest of Southern Africa. Yeah. But they are ever so slightly different. They seem to be slightly hairier than the normal baboons or the baboons that you see in Kruger, yeah. which is an adaptation to the cold weather and the cold, wintry nonsense that you get down in Cape Town. Yes. And they're also unique in the fact that they eat seafood. They've learned how to crack oh. open mussels and things on the beach, and they actually p- patrol the tide lines and the, and, the, and the beaches looking for seafood. So that makes them kind of interesting. Yeah. But there's a unique baboon statue at Cape Point in tribute to these unique baboons that we have. And I think there's an ongoing love-hate affair with the baboons in Cape Town between the <laughs> residents and the baboons. Yeah. Because yeah. they're breaking into houses and... I mean, I've been in a house food. before where monkeys have got in, and that's that's a mission because the, the fridges are ripped open, all the food packets are spread everywhere, yeah. and a baboon is substantially bigger than little monkeys, so the baboons do <laughs> that kind of damage as well. Yeah. But they are super; they are very, very highly protected down in Cape Town, 
And again, there's a, there's a good couple of Facebook pages and things you can follow to follow the adventures of the baboons down in Cape Town and the Cape Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> I think there must be a, a couple of interesting stories on there. Yeah. Well, one, one, of, one of South Africa's unique baboon stories is about Jack the baboon. Jack oh. the railway baboon. Okay. And that was a baboon who was the, not even a pet, the helper of a guy um, by the name of Jack, oh, James, James Wide. James Wide was, 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 was sort of known as Jumping James. He was a railway guy in Utenhague. And okay. he got his name because he used to jump, jump between the cars and carriages during his, his work days. And one day he actually misjudged it and fell between the wagons and, and actually lost both his legs. Oof. But he kept his job and he adopted a pet baboon called Jack. And he trained Jack to actually man the signal system. Okay. And Jack the baboon never missed it, never got it wrong. And he could somehow, he could tell <laughs> the time of the day or the day of the week, whatever it was. And he knew exactly which levers to pull to direct the train through Utenhake. And when to pull them. And when to pull them. Oh, so my word. A, a very, very unique story. And just like um, the one dog who shall rename remain nameless on this station because yeah. we're part of the competition. Yeah, that's the one dog the... that actually got enrolled in the Royal Navy and drew pay, yes. Jack was actually employed by the railways. So the <laughs> railways actually employed a baboon down in Utenhague to do the signals. Yeah. And Jack was paid the grand total of 20 cents per day and one beer per week. Somehow, Jack... <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack, Jack the baboon... Um, was officially paid, and, and he obviously had a had a taste for for a good cold beer. Yeah, but look, and, you know, and eventually Jack 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 passed away. But you can actually see him because his skull, well, not see him, but his skull is now actually in the Albany Albany Museum in Grahamstown. Okay, so he's another one of our great animal characters, Jack Jack the Railway Baboon. And you say in which area was that? That was in Utenhague. 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 That Utenhague was one of the big railway um, marshalling yards. So, you know, when we're talking signals, and there's photographs of Jack the Baboon, and he's got an array of 20 or 30 levers in front of him uh, yeah. to direct what train going on to what track, where, what, how, and he, and he somehow he got it right. Yes, but that must be, <laughs> that m must have been brilliant. <laughs> there were the actually some complaints. Too. There were actually some, some, some passengers complained at one stage. Is it? And moaned about Jack the Baboon. They didn't quite trust what, 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 what was happening. And the railways <laughs> actually went to go and investigate. And after they investigated, they said, no, it's actually cool. Jack knows what he's doing, and uh, they actually employed him. <laughs> I think let's take a quick break there. I know you've got a lot to talk about today. So this one goes to Jack the Baboon that was uh, directing the trains and uh, doing all the switches and so forth. Okay, let me just get the right channel here because I made a mess here earlier on. Uh, well, not a mess, but... Uh, I was trying to do something. Oh, the internet was down and I had to do some shifting around and whatnot. Okay, but here we go. Uh, Bob John van uh, uh, Robbie Vessels. Come, Bob John. <laughs> mm. 
Robbie Wessels, een van ons Zuid-Afrikaanse uh, eisters, wat al die lekker van die goed sing. And that was just for the baboon. Um, ek het iets vir, vir, vir Jan van Riebeek ook opgeleid. <coughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, we've had, we've had a little bit of fun with the animals over the last, last week and just in intro uh, today. But... Every once in a while, we need to get a little bit more serious, a little bit more about the history and stuff in South Africa and where you can see it and what you can do with it. And Jan van Riebeek, die arme ou Jan, wat altyd die skuld kry vir alles. <laughs> he obviously is a huge figure in, in, in our history, being the first guy to be sent out by the Dutch East India Company or the VOC, the Verenigde Oost-Indiese Compagnie, <laughs> to settle the Cape. Now, an interesting little thing that not, not many people really know about him is that he was, before he started in Cape Town, he was actually dismissed for corruption in uh, Indochina because he was supposed to do everything for the company, but yet he was found to be doing some private trading on the side. Oh, yeah. And that, that, that's something that he probably introduced into South Africa and has never quite left us, <laughs> if you look at what's happening at the moment. But uh, <laughs> apart from that... He's an interesting figure in our history. He used to feature in our banknotes. And again, something that very few people actually know is that's actually not Jan. <laughs> the, the, the picture of, of that guy with that big white collar and he's got like a neckchief or tie on and the long flowing black hair is not Jan yeah. van Riebeek. At, uh, somewhere along the line, somebody made an awful mistake. And that is actually a guy by the, by the name of Bartholomeus Vermouden is the guy who actually sits on our old banknotes and our old coins and stuff. So it's not actually Jan. Yeah. And I have yet to find a picture that is definitely 100% Jan van Riebeek. So we don't actually know what he looked like. Okay. So they just thought, okay, that looks like... They thought it was Jan. him, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so this, 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 this mythical figure, or not mythical figure, this figure of Jan van Riebeek who's widely regarded almost as the founder of South Africa, yeah, yeah. featured on our banknotes and is getting into trouble. There's pictures of him with his flags and meeting the indigenous people in, in Cape Town when he landed. He's not actually young. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got his statue up in Cape Town. Uh, he stands next to Maria, his wife. And it was a long journey from, from Holland to Cape Town. Uh, I think it was about 110 days sailing. And Maria arrived pregnant. So obviously it's a pretty good journey for Jan. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, his task from the Dutch East India Company was to build a fort, improve the anchorage in Table Bay, and he needed to start planting vegetable fruit and vegetables, fruit and vegetables and cereals uh, to supply the ships because the biggest scourge in those days was scurvy. Yeah, the guys yeah. didn't have enough fresh stuff on board, and their teeth would start falling out, and the skin would start getting lesions and stuff. Scurvy, yes. scurvy was not lacquer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just an interesting part of that is that the British actually discovered that limes kept on board would keep for a long time on board the ships, and because of the vitamin C in a lime, they'd actually managed yeah. to beat scurvy, and that's where the name limey comes from. Okay. When you talk about a limey as an Englishman, because they had <laughs> limes on board their ship. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. <laughs> and that was Jan's job. And he actually did it very, very well. He, was, he arrived in 1652 and he 
lasted for about 10 years in Cape Town. He did a good job. No more corruption, all of that they could find. And he got sent off to Batavia with a yeah. promotion. And he eventually died in Batavia a couple of years later. Him and his wife were buried there in okay. um, Batavia. <laughs> so an, in, an interesting character. And a lot of stuff is still blamed on him. And there's an awful lot of stuff when you're going in and around Cape Town that obviously has the flavor of the VOC, the Dutch East India Company. Yes. The Dutch East India Company, even to this day, <coughs> is still regarded as the biggest private enterprise ever. So. Ever. That includes the George Soros's and the Bill Gates's of today and all the rest of it. The Dutch East India Company is still regarded as a bigger enterprise than anything that has ever existed. It was private enterprise. And that's something we've got to realize about Cape Town. Cape Town was started as private enterprise. It wasn't a colony. It had nothing to do with government. Private enterprise to make the ships more efficient and get more ships around the Cape and get more ships to come back with less loss of life to Holland or to the, to the Netherlands because that increased profits. Yes, yes. More ships would come back and it was worth the expense of starting up Cape Town because more ships came back. So it was written off as a, as, a, as a business expense. Yeah, yeah. And an awful lot of Cape Town is still historically VOC. Um, one of Van Riebeek's legacies is the the hedge in Kirstenbosch. He planted a hedge oh, around okay. Cape Town. Yes, yes, I heard about that. And uh, <coughs> it was basically to stop the cattle raiding. Because one of his tasks was as well was to trade with the local indigenous people, with the Khoi and the Khoisan, yes. to get cattle and fresh meat. And there was an everlasting scourge of cattle raids into the colony. So Jan actually planted a hedge to try and separate out the two. Yes. And a lot of people regard that as the first evidence of apartheid in South Africa, of sort of the us and them. You know, we, we, we are the Dutch and the guys in Cape Town and you are the rest outside the fence. Yeah. But that hedge can still be seen in Kirstenbosch. Then, of course, the, the fort, the original fort Jan built no longer exists. And the second fort is now the, the, that beautiful fort in Cape Town, the Cape Castle, or the Castle yes. of Good Hope. Yes. And that is so worth a visit. The most awesome, beautiful museums in there. And that Cape Dutch furniture, all that stuff that used to come out of the Netherlands, the paintings, the... The, the crockery, the, it's just unbelievable lifestyles that these guys had, as if you were one of them, the, yes, the Numzans yes. of, of the Dutch East India Company. Yeah. And they still fire the little gun every once in a while in, in the fort. There's a beautiful military museum in the fort. And the fort is still the oldest building in South Africa that's still in daily use. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a military building. There's still some of the uh, military units that have their headquarters in the, in the castle. And it's just a fascinating place to visit. You've got to take an hour or two to spend in the castle. You can visit the old dungeons. Yeah, I think I've been there like three times. I still want to go back because I only saw little bits of it. It's a, it's a fascinating place and it's worth taking one of the guided tours. There's, there's, there's guys there who yeah. do that for a living to take you around the castle. And you can go down into the old dungeons where Adam Tuss was held. Yes. Good old Tussies, the South African... Um, Staple red wine, the, the Tussenberg, yeah, yeah, is actually from Adam Tuss. Yes, and he was at that time what they called one of the first free burgers. 
because everyone that came out to the to to Cape Town or to the Cape was an employee of the Dutch East India Company. Yes. And eventually that doesn't work anymore because now you're 20 years later and you set up a farm and you're doing your thing and you're selling produce to the company. It's the only guys that you're allowed to sell to. That eventually starts devolving into a, well, I'm independent and I'm not an employee, I'm a farmer. Yes. And the Dutch East India Company didn't really know what to do with these guys because they weren't employees, but it wasn't a country. So you weren't a citizen or something. Because it wasn't Dutch territory. It was a private enterprise. Okay. So you were living outside the company property and they didn't yes. know what to do with these guys. So eventually, after much discussion and a couple of little mini rebellions and a couple of fights and gunfights and things, eventually the status of Freeburger was, was established. And those were now uh, the guys outside of the company control, but still regulated by the company to sell their produce to the company. And Adam Tuss was one of those guys who rebelled against the Dutch East India Company, was held in the dungeon, in the castle. Yes, and when yes. you get into that dungeon and they close the door, you're yes. in a black hole. You literally yeah. cannot see your hand in front of your face. Is that the one with the hole in the middle? It's the one with the hole in the middle. How deep does that go? I can't remember. Well, I don't know if we're talking about the same hole. There's also a well in the middle of the castle. I don't know if you, maybe there's, there's the freshwater well that's sunk down in the middle of the, of the bastion across the middle of the castle. No, but there's, there's one of the dungeons in the corner, <clears throat> yeah, and there's no window, there's nothing. They close the door, you're literally in a black hole. Pitch black, yeah. And Adam Tuss, when he was released out of there, he actually named his farm Libertas. Libertas. Oh, Liberty of Tuss. Yes, yes. That's where that name comes from. And Tussenberg also relates to Adam Tuss, who, who was held there as one of the first Freeburgers. So all those yes. names go right back through to the, to the VOC. And the castle, if you look at where it is built at the moment, it doesn't make much sense because it's way away from the harbour and it doesn't make yeah. much sense there. But that, <coughs> the castle used to be right on the shoreline. Yeah, apparently so. And what happened there is the first entrance to the castle is not where the entrance to the castle is now. And if you, you're driving down, I think it's Strand Street. Not Strand Street, um, the one closer down to the harbour. I forget the name. But you can actually see that there used to be an entrance there that has now been bricked up again. They didn't yeah. do a very good renovation job of blocking up that old entrance. But yes. the first entrance used to get flooded at high tide. Oh. On spring tide, the water used to come into the castle, and they couldn't get in and out of the castle for a couple of hours. And they eventually had to change that, so they bricked that lot up. They obviously had a massive damp problem in the castle for a long time. Uh, yeah. And uh, they, actually, <laughs> they had to move the main entrance of the castle around the corner to where they knew they could use it every day. But the castle used to be right on the shoreline and it was put there on purpose because it commanded the cannons on the castle commanded the entire Table Bay. Yeah. And what is now between the castle and the harbour was actually, and I hate the word reclaimed, it should just be claimed or stolen from the sea. They didn't reclaim anything. It wasn't, didn't used to be land. They yeah. made land out of that. Yeah, I heard that story. That and that was the expansion of the harbour. For, uh, according to, I think it was for World War II, they actually expanded the harbor because suddenly there's no, the naval traffic yes. couldn't handle the old harbor anymore. Yeah. And that was part of the expansion. And it's also interesting, when you drive across what's called Strand Street, you can see the difference between Old Cape Town and New Cape Town. Yeah. Strand Street is the dividing line because Strand, Strand, Beach, yeah. St Beach Street, that's yes. where the old beach was. And Van Riebeek actually came on shore where the modern station is today. Oh, 
Lovely. <laughs> that's where that's where he landed, and the modern station is now like almost a kilometer away from the sea, Jeez. and all the area from the station down to where now the waterfront is is new land. And again, the station, beautiful building, and when you drive past there, you have got the war memorial uh, on, on 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 the main road there. But you look at look up at the station, the beautiful mosaics up on the wall there, depicting life in the 1800s yeah. uh, in Cape Town. So the castle lies there on the beach. And the castle, it's one of the landmarks. When you're standing on top of Table Mountain, you look down at Cape Town, you can orientate yourself to the castle. You go, okay, there's the castle. And then, then you can sort of figure out where everything else is. And even used as a prison, after the Anglo-Zulu War of 1879, King Tetsuayu was held in the castle for a while. Okay. He, he, was, he was captured after, after, after the British defeated the Zulus. That, that was Isan Juana, we mentioned Isan Juana, Blood River, all of those, all of those happenings, famous, famous incidents in South African history, which yeah. we can cover in some other episode. Yeah. But he was taken prisoner and was held in the castle um, because obviously the, the, the British at that stage, 1879, Cape Town was British. Yeah. Do you know the stories about the ghosts in the castle? There's a good couple of stories about the ghosts in the castle. There's yeah. apparently a dog that leaps on people there as well every once in a while. Some giant dog that jumps on, on the guards and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they must really have a... I don't know. I, I, I think I would have a problem. I think I'd be okay a standing... A bit of a spot stand, in their pants. Eh? <laughs> I think I'd be okay standing on top of the walls at night, but walking down some of those creepy passages and things, that, no, I, yeah. I think I'd have a small problem with that. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so the VOC permeates almost all of of Cape Town. You, you drive around even at the in the waterfront at the moment, you can visit some of the old naval batteries and things and the old cannons. Yeah. And an interesting legacy of the Dutch East India Company is the noonday gun. Twelve o'clock every yes. day the noonday gun is fired. There's it's obviously on, a, a modern yeah. piece of artillery up on Signal Hill. Yes. And Signal Hill also gets its name from the from the Dutch East India Company. It was used as a signaling point. They would have a lookout on top of Signal Hill. And the lookout's job was to watch out for sails appearing on the horizon. Okay. And when they saw the ship arriving or saw the sails on the horizon, they knew they had like two days or so or a day and a half, whatever it was, for that ship to arrive arrive in the harbor. And the signal was then a cannon shot. Okay. They would shoot the fire off the cannon, and that was the warning system to the farmers who were now outside of the Cape Town boundaries. Yeah. And there was a system of cannon set up right up through sort of to where now Paul and Stellenbosch is. And again, that's one of the names, Kanonkop, one of the beautiful oh. wines that we have. Yeah. Cannon Mountain, because there was a cannon on the mountain there as well. And Signal Hill would fire. And then there would be a, a whole system of cannons going bang. Okay, oh, there's a bang. Let me go. If you run to my cannon, bang. Yes. The next cannon, bang. And that was the warning to the farmers that a ship was now in harbor to yeah. load the wagons. And then they knew they had a day or two days or three days to get, to get through. Yeah. And the new ship had arrived that was going to be looking for produce. That's brilliant. <laughs> so even the noonday gun, every single day, that still goes back to the old VOC. Yeah. And the VOC, again, I mean, it's, it's, you're talking an enterprise that has had its own ships, it had its own armies, it had its own administration systems. And Cape Town grew so fast 
and even Jan, the names today, Newlands, Newlands, Nieuwland. Yeah. Yes. That was the new garden when the original yes. gardens got too big in Cape Town. The company gardens, which is now in the center of Cape Town, which is now more a botanical garden and a park, yeah. used to be the gardens for vegetables. That's where its name comes from. Okay. <laughs> that was <laughs> where they grew the veggies. Yes. That got too small and they had to look for new land. So that's where Nieuwland comes from when they had to expand the gardens into Nieuwland. That's now obviously underneath the rugby stadium and a suburb. Yeah, but that's yeah. where Newlands, the name Newlands comes from, Nivelland. Okay. And the company Gardens, the, the Tainer, was exactly that. And yes. Eventually that, that trans, transformed into more of a botanical garden. Again, beautiful place to visit. You've got the museums there. You've got the, the Natural History Museum. You've got the Art Museum. There's all sorts of things in and around the company gardens. You can happily spend a, a day meandering in the buildings and the, yeah. and the old buildings around the company gardens. So... Yeah. You know, so much of Cape Town devolves and revolves around the Dutch East India Company. But then we come to one of our famous, more famous characters, old Simon van der Stel. Now, he, he, he was three or four governors after, after Jan. Yeah. The other guys but, after Jan didn't do too much. So they never yeah. really covered themselves in too much glory. But I think before we continue with him... Let's quickly go play a song just for Jan van Riebeek. Oh, yes. This was Jan's skuld. This was Jan's skuld. But I had now this song gekies for Jan van Riebeek. This was a, a song for you, Oom Jan. He said, Jan, I can't dance. Nie. Lang arm dance, nie, I can't dance. Jerusalem is on by the house party. The end of the day, I can't man here right up stand. Gossip Patrick Swayze and the lucht op. All right, where did we left off? We, 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 we've left Jan. Jan eventually disappears and goes off to Batavia. Yes. A couple of other governors. Wagenaar. Wagenaar was the guy who set up the new, what's called the, the Castle of Good Hope. And then there were a couple of unremarkable characters. But the next guy who really blossomed sort of in our history, if you want to call it that, was um, Simon van der Stel. Yes. Now, that's a whole family of van der Stels. Simon was the, the son of Adrian van der Stel. Adrian was one of the officials of the Dutch East India Company. So nothing oh, like yes. a bit of nepotism here to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to yeah. give your son uh, a lack of job. Yes. But uh, Adrian was also a governor of Mauritius for a while. And Simon was born while he was en route to Mauritius. And Simon, Simon's mother was actually... Uh, by the name of Maria, Maria Levens. And she was the daughter of a freed slave woman. So Simon van der Stel was actually what we would now term a colored. Oh. And that is something that, again, not many people want to admit. And uh, you, we can't have this, this figure of one of the founders of South Africa yeah. having that kind of history. But uh, <laughs> that, that's just the way it worked in those days. Yeah. But Simon, Simon van der Stel was definitely one of the more energetic and one of the more active governors of the Cape. And his legacy is in Stellenbosch, Simon van der Stel, Stel's Bush. Yeah. He's one of the little expeditions. Cape Town was growing so fast. There were so many farmers, so many people running around that he realized the necessity for a second administrative post over and above Cape Town. Now, Stellenbosch nice. and Cape Town are not far apart, but you've got to remember we're talking the days of ox wagons and horses. Yeah. So we're looking, I think, what, I think about 45 or 50-odd kilometers Yes. And on his way north 
the first river he came across, and in a fit of originality, he called it Eerste Rivier, the first river. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, he looked at this and he realized that this was an ideal spot for a second administrative post. So, again, hugely original, he named it after himself. So, he called it the, the Stellenbosch. And that was the origins of the second oldest town now. In South Africa, and that's where our cat is. Our little cat, our little cat statues in Stellenbosch. Oh yes, yes. And yes. Stellenbosch is historically got to be one of the most amazing places. And every time I take tours and groups into Stellenbosch, everybody moans and moans and complains that they never have enough time to explore Stellenbosch. Yeah, it is one of the most beautiful cities. The Akerstadt. They call it because of the oak trees. The, all the yes. oak trees planted next to the roads. Yeah, and even the oak trees have been declared national monuments. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a most stunning little town. Lots of little shops and arcades, beautiful historical buildings. One of the old Dutch, um, what, what do you want to call it, the, the, the old um, munitions dumps, ammunition dumps, is right on a place called Die Braak. And it's one of the old um, armories of the, of the Dutch East India Company, one of the few buildings yeah. that still actually got the Dutch East India Company logo on it. Yeah, what a name. Die Brak. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they, where, they got, where they got that from. But it's just so worthwhile walking around Stellenbosch and just looking at the buildings. Every second building is a national monument. Beautiful Dutch gables, thatch roofs, white, white painted verandas. Um, Dorpstraat has still got the old water canals next to it. And one yes. of Simon's legacies now, Van Riebeek tried, tried to make wine. He realized that this could be a good idea. And he tried to make wine on the slopes of Table Mountain. But even by his own admission in his diary, he says the results of his first winemaking were not fit to drink. So he obviously <laughs> produced some horrendous concoction. But the idea with the wine was grapes were known to be an anti-scurvy Yes. Plant or, yeah. or cure. So his idea with making wine was not to have parties, but to have wine to actually treat scurvy for the people arriving in Cape Town. <laughs> but the stuff was not drinkable. And <laughs> Van der Stel actually managed to get the wine industry really on board. And <laughs> that was taken to a new level with the arrival of the French Huguenots um, a couple of years later. So you get healed, then you get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just that in. <laughs> but, you know, so Stellenbosch is the legacy of Simon van der Stel. And, and van der Stel was a, was a massive adventurer. I mean, he, he took trips and he went right up through Namakuland, right up to where the town now of Okip is called. Okip. Right up in the heart of Namakuland. Sort of, if you, if, you, if you head up the main road and you get, get to Springbok. Yes. Left of Springbok is Okip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a mountain pass there when you're going I just need to get my bearings uh, Clancia, I think it's called Clancia Clancia to Springbok is one of the most stunning roads you've, you've first got the absolute desert areas and then in the distance you see these mountains and it's the most stunning mountain pass and I, th I actually think it's called Van der Stel's Pass but, and you can look, look at this and you go wow, this guy actually did that in an ox wagon yeah, you're talking late 1600s, and you go that 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 How that's impressive did stuff. They do that, and <laughs> Van der Stel was actually up there looking for copper, and he he found copper because that's the whole Okip the Okip mines are there for copper. Okay, that's and nice. again, 
these little towns have little treasures in it. And if you drive into the copper mine in Okip, there's actually a copper museum. Okay. You can actually go into a little mining museum, a little copper museum, and the guys there are super welcoming to walk you through it and explain the whole mining process. You can go up the, up the mountain to the old mining works and the holes and the tunnels and things that they dug up there to, yeah. to get this copper. But so Fannestal is, the, you know, that, that, that's sort of his legacy. And one of the more enlightened or more active guys of the Dutch East India Company. But the Dutch East India Company was busy and had operations in South Africa right up until 1795 when they eventually went bankrupt. I think they just sort of outgrew their own own size and probably too much corruption and too many people that are doing stuff on their own rather than for the benefit of the of the company. Yeah, that's a recurring theme in that South Africa. That seems to be a recurring theme in South Africa. <laughs> but the actual territory of the Dutch East India Company again is very very impressive because they would much like the portuguese used to put those little crosses down that we spoke about you know dias and the yes. gama would put up the little what they call a padrao i don't know if my portuguese is right there. i think it's called a padrao a little stone stone cross that are proclaiming we were here yes the dutch east india company the voc also put up these beacons and there's one that you can still see today up in saldana bay okay um to sort of proclaim this as possession of the Dutch East India Company. And if you look at the geography of South Africa, go north from Cape Town, you're hitting desert. So yes. Namakuland and the desert areas are not exactly made for farming or for any kind of decent expansion, yeah. unless you are some kind of nomadic cattle farmer or sheep farmer possibly. But the actual farming, the natural expansion is out down towards the east. Yes. So as you get over the mountains, you go over Solari's Pass, and that's why it's called Wurferberg, over the mountain, okay. because it's over the yes. mountain from Cape Town. <laughs> yeah. And you start getting into some of the most beautiful farming areas when you drive down the N2 and you hit those canola, canola fields and wheat fields. It's, it's like chocolate box stuff when you, when you get, get, <laughs> get, get, in, get in season there in the sun, yes. especially early morning or late afternoon drives through that area. Is just mind-blowingly beautiful. But that is the natural expansion of the Cape with the free burgers, etc. So the VOC had to follow where the farmers expanded. Yeah. And so you then started getting other little towns to be set up. Uh, uh, Swellen Dam yes. being one of the, again, one of the Dutch East India Company towns. Stunning little spot to visit. If you go into the, uh, the Drostei, the old Drostei is now a museum. Okay. And you look at the way these guys lived, and you look at Drost, the, the, the Drostei in Swellendam, and if we just reverse a little bit and go back to Cape Town, Groot Constantia. Groot Constantia was Simon van der Stel's house. Okay, yes. And the way that they lived was just beyond what you can imagine. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been into Groot Constantia. But you, it's this, up this long driveway, this beautiful Cape Dutch house, this massive entrance, this huge, it's almost like a hall. Oh, beautiful wooden wow. floors, yellow wood, yellow wood beams for the doors and the windows, mm. and built so that you could catch the breeze, obviously, so that yeah. it, it would keep it cool. And the furniture, these beautiful Dutch cupboards and mantelpieces oh, and stuff in yes. there. That it's must just, be beautiful. It's mind-blowing. It's and. This is now 1600s, 1700s. 
Yeah. Yeah, Swellendam, much the same thing. That's a little Dutch East India Company uh, town. Lots of historical buildings to look at in Swellendam, beautiful museums and stuff. But eventually, by the time the Dutch East India Company goes bankrupt, they've gone as far as where today Port Elizabeth is. Okay. So that, that's a huge area. Yeah. Um, you know, Graaf Renet also, I think, that, I think Graaf Renet was actually the last town established by the Dutch East India Company. And again, I love Graaf Renet. Old buildings, you've got the Valley of Desolation just, just down the road. And Graaf Renet for me. And Graaf Renet for me is one of these beautiful little towns. It's sort of, it seems yeah. to be like right on the edge of the desert. It's not quite desert, but it is kind of desert in Karoo. Yeah, yeah. And Graaf Renet's got the distinction of making tequila. Of all the weird things and, 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 and things that come out of South Africa, Grafenet makes tequila. I did not know that. <laughs> so when you drive into Grafenet, actually you see all these, these weird cactusy things. It's agave plants. Tequila. But, yeah, tequila <laughs> coming, coming out of Grafenet. But by the time the Dutch East India Company goes bankrupt, they've expanded right out as far as um, where today Port Elizabeth is. They never settled Port Elizabeth, but the... In PE, or and, and again, my apologies, I cannot pronounce the new name. Oh. My tongue doesn't do that click thing. Uh, not even. I, I've try. tried. I really do try with the click thing, but I, I just don't <laughs> get it. But again, one of the name in PE, you've got the Barkensrefir, the Beacon River, because it was a Dutch East India beacon on the river to say this is the extent of the Dutch East India Company possession. Yeah. So, from Cape Town all the way through to PE and in a line sort of up around to where the border of the Karoo is, was actually all Dutch East India Company possession. Private land owned by the company. Yeah. And 1795, Dutch East India Company implodes and now a whole new regime and stuff has to come into play in the Cape. Yes. So we're talking right at the end of 1700s. We now got France mucking about in the oceans. We've got England. Um, <laughs> England and France, they've never, ever been buddies. And I don't think that Hundred Years' War has actually ever ended between the English and the French. They, they still seem to <laughs> clash. <laughs> they still seem to clash. They just never seem to get over, over themselves. So now England is sitting there, is now faced with the collapse of the Dutch East India Company, and it's now got this vacuum in Cape Town. We're talking the most profitable and the most important sea route in the world that has now got no control. Oh, beautiful. So England at that time is more or less forced into doing something and taking over the reins in the Cape. Yeah. So, you know, the Dutch East India Company, an amazing, an amazing project. We're talking 1652 right to 1795 sure. is private enterprise on the Dutch East India in Cape Town. Yeah. Or in the Cape. Never mind Cape Town. I think we just call it the Cape. So there's lots of stuff to find and see about the Dutch East India Company and in and around Cape Town. It's just a matter of knowing where to look. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, standing on top of Table Mountain, one of my favorite activities, I love going up Table Mountain, especially at sunset, and you look out over that, you look out at Robben Island, uh, Jan van Riebeck again, he actually put up the first lighthouse on, on Robben Island, 
okay. and he actually had had some people stationed on Robben Island, and he used Robben Island as a as a bit of a an enclosure or a, or a spot where he could actually have some sheep and stuff. And there's there's entries in his diary where a little sloop or something would get sent to Robben Island and come back with two goats or two sheep or something to bring okay. back into into Cape Town. But the main purpose of the guy standing there was actually the the, the, the lighthouse. And well, you're talking 1600s. Yeah. That was just a sudden great big fire that they'd have to light there to warn the ships that yeah that that that, 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 that land be coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where do we where do we now go from Cape Town? We can go through to Port Elizabeth, and I think it's the the first the first British building I think was actually put up in PE, which is now called Fort Frederick. Okay. That 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 sitting that sits in PE, and that was the first British garrison, um, that the that 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 that, that was put in once the British had taken over. Yeah. So seventeen ninety five, the Brits have to come in. Um, there's a little bit of a not not much of it, but uh, a little bit of a fight. Uh, <laughs> the to, English to, seem <laughs> to provoke a lot of fi- fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the British, the British. Um, I think it's what the, what what do they say? I think there's only like twenty countries around the world that the British have not had a fight in. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but again, you got to you got to admire the Brits. It's a, yeah. it's a horrible little island off the coast of Europe. Yeah. And one of Winston Churchill's, well, not Winston Churchill, it was, it was one of the headlines, one of the newspaper headlines in the late 1800s or something. And it, it just epitomizes for me that English spirit where it says, fog in channel, continent cut off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I go, uh, that, 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 that's cool. <laughs> Fucking channel <laughs> Continent cut off Not England isolated in, no, no. Continent cut off Yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's But so yeah but, but, um, 1795 the, the, British, the British have to come in And they, they actually invade And they invade in Musenberg Musenberg, yeah Down the southern side in False Bay and that's also an interesting little aside, is that the name False Bay was given because the ships coming from the east would be sailing, and they'd be sailing relatively close to the coast. Yeah. And when you stay in a False Bay, or you, you stand in Musenberg on a clear day, you can actually see Cape Point on your right-hand side, and you can see Cape Hunclip yeah. on the left-hand side. Okay. And those are obviously the two points that now encompass False Bay. Yeah. But the ships coming from the east would often mistake... Cape Hunclip for Cape Point. Okay. And especially if it was a bit misty, the distance is big enough that you could not see Cape Point. So they would make they, they would make the yes. mistake of thinking yeah. that they're around Cape Point and they would then turn north. And then they'd find themselves in, in the bay. Yeah. And then obviously that's a huge panic and a and a <laughs> and a gedunte now to get the ship turned around because otherwise you start running ashore. Yeah. Yeah. And they would then have to turn around and sail out of False Bay and go around Cape Point to actually find Cape Town Harbour. The actual harbour, yeah. And that's where the name False Bay comes from. False Bay. It was the wrong bay. It was the wrong place to be. (laughs) Yeah. That's so awesome. (laughs) Van der Stel, again, lends his name to Simonstown. Simon Van der Stel. Simon's Harbour. And that that was developed as an alternative harbour for the winter months when Table Bay was just too rough and the winds would be too strong for a safe anchorage in 
what is now Cape Town Harbour. Yes. So that's when they developed Simonstown as an alternative harbour. Okay. And one of the interesting little legacies on that one is that they obviously then had to have some kind of transport route from the ships in and out to Cape Town and back again. Yeah. And it is now thankfully no longer, but that's why Fishhook was a dry town. Okay. Because they didn't want the Oxwagon drivers to get drunk at the local tavern yes. when they were and the sailors coming in from the ships. Yeah. They didn't want them to get drunk before they hit Cape Town. And <laughs> and Fishhook was one of the outspan sort of it was it was the halfway mark. Yeah. <laughs> so the official decree was that you may not have alcohol at this at this little spot which was a government um owned owned spot and the tavern owner there would give overnighting accommodation and stuff, yeah. but he wasn't allowed to serve drink. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know by first-hand experience now that you are able to buy wine and beer when you sit down in a little spot yeah. in Fishhook. So yeah. luckily that, 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 those, that, days that, that those, day, those days are gone. Unless, of course, we're in lockdown level 14.5.3.2. And uh, <laughs> we have decided that we are no longer um, allowed to have alcohol. Yeah. But uh, in normal days, it's, that, that, that's actually gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So yeah, the the, the battle the bat, the battle of um, of Musenberg, you, you although it's a one of the one of the sort of the, the the smaller little fights was definitely one of the turning points in South African history because it it indicated the switch over from the Dutch East India Company, i.e., private land, yeah. to becoming a British possession, which then only turned it into a colony. Yes, okay. And that's a whole different mindset because the Dutch East India Company was in Cape Town to make money. Yeah. Whereas the British took it over as a possession to safeguard the sea routes and then to administer it as a colony and not so much as a money-making type of scheme machine kind of thing. (laughs) So that 1795 is definitely one of our pivotal happenings in South Africa. Yeah. Awesome. Did you see what the time is? It's gone. It's gone again. It's gone. And I'm, a, I'm not even 20% through my list for today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good point to, to stop. You know, we've ended with the Dutch East India Company dying. And we just now Started on the first British occupation of the yes. Cape 1795. And that's probably an awesome pot, spot again to kick off. Because uh, next, th- week, those, yes. next week, is we, when, when you look at history... You know, you can actually break up the South African history. You can break it up into pre-VOC times. Then you've got the VOC times. Yes. Then you've got the British and all the Gedunters in the British. And then you're leading up eventually to Republic yeah. in 1961. So those are kind of convenient breakups that we can use. Yes. Okay. But uh, let's just remind them about the competition. Um we mentioned four dogs in the previous uh, episode. That was part four. This is part five. If you can send us those names, you can win a 20 kilogram of Halfa Paws dog food. Depending on where you are in South Africa, we'll get the closest depot to donate that to you. Uh, well, give it to you because you won it. And we'll just <laughs> replace these. <laughs> but yeah, and next week we'll talk a, a little bit more about uh, what Didrik has got in store for for the app. We're just waiting on some things there to fall into place, and then we'll let you know about those. But Didrik, awesome to have you again. 
uh, with all your knowledge and all the beautiful places you talk about and all the interesting facts and uh, all the funny stuff. All the funny stuff. Only in South Africa. Only in South Africa. I was, I was, I was actually <laughs> chatting to my, my partner in crime in building this app, my, my history guru, old, uh, old Emil, Emil yeah. Kutsia from the University of the, of the Northwest. And we were talking about some of the stories, and I actually want to get him onto the show at some stage when he's, when he's around this part of the world. Yeah, we must. And, I mean, just some of the weirdest, weirdest, most wonderful stories and where we find these monuments. He, was, he actually found a, a memorial to the 100th anniversary of the Great Trek out in Lichtenberg, I think it was, in the middle okay. of a pig pen. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, the... There's a cannon. There's a cannon at the entrance to a farm out Lichtenberg Way as well. That and the farm is uh, the granddaughter of Delaray. Okay. And she insisted of the Minister of Defence at one point that her farm should be marked by a cannon. So she requested government for a cannon. The cannon government actually delivered a cannon. <laughs> to a farm to mark the entranceway to the granddaughter of General Delaray's farm. Okay. <laughs> well. Geez. And there's hundreds of these stories that we've got. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, there's no, just the, the sort of the story, the stories behind the, the dry history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we must definitely get him on here at some point. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm going to play that uh, Namakwalant um because of Simon van der Stel that uh, went uh, through Namakwaland, uh, it's a bit of a Burem Mesik Nomarki, traditional Afrikaans uh, country, if you can call it that. But yeah, thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, please go listen to the podcast and join the competition, and yeah, we'll let you know if you're a winner. You can uh, contact us on our Facebook page. And on the Facebook page, there will be email address and a phone number that you can contact as well. Diedrich, thanks for coming in again today. And that was awesome. Awesome stuff. Always a lot of fun on the show. Yes. <laughs>